have any shame or hangups or sort of whatever about being working class. He doesn't think that it makes him any worse or any, and he doesn't think that like, he just, it doesn't make him any less valuable than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, but Joey like, and he doesn't, he just doesn't feel any of that. Whereas Joey actively does. Like yes. Joey's actively ashamed of like being working poor. She's act- actively ashamed of like her familial background. She's actively ashamed that like her father's incarcerated. everyone this is alex and this is em welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for nostalgic gen x and millennials as well as binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we love what we hate and what's just a bit problematic about the tvs and tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a little bit of rewriting where necessary on today's episode we'll be finishing up our analysis on the hit teen series dawson's creek Dawson's Creek was both a breath of fresh air at its debut and later became known as a groundbreaking series, discussing topics ranging from masturbation to sexuality to interracial relationships that other series were too afraid to tackle. Dawson's Creek gave us some pretty memorable characters and is still very much a part of the cultural landscape. So what do we think of seasons five through six? Stay tuned. tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pick up beginning of season four. Where where are we at, Em? Well, at the end of season three, um, after getting Dawson's permission, Joey ran off um, and got on Pacey's boat and they sailed off into the sunset together. They were officially a couple. They were officially together and they had such a happy ending. We just knew we were going to come into season four with some bullshit, right? <laughs> right. So season four, they make their way back to Cape Side like a week before school starts or like the day before school starts. I don't remember which. And... Pacey's already anxious because he already knows people are going to have questions. People are going to want to know if they slept together, which they hadn't at the point. Um, and um, he is, you know, you know, it's a legitimate fear. He's worried about what it means for their relationship now that they are both back in Dawson's orbit. So um, that's where we are. They're back here for the summer. Um and he's just really, really, really worried about what it means for their relationship. And things already start off very shaky. While they had this summer, um, Dawson and um, Jack, I believe, were working together um, all summer long. And then when they weren't working, they were spending time on the beach with Jen and Andy having just a really good time. And Andy is shown actively trying to enjoy her summer and meet new guys and get over Pacey. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. Um, 
And very early in the season, we find that Dawson's mother, Gail, is pregnant. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. She does get, like, ego prego. She does in her old age. Um, but, I mean, it's possible if you're not, if you haven't hit menopause yet and you already have a child, you've already been pregnant, to become pregnant again in your 40s. I thought these people were in their 50s when I first watched because I was judging by how white, how black people age, but they're supposed to be in their 40s. Um, and at the same time, Jen advises Joey to get on birth control because she's seriously considering having sex with Pacey. And Jen is a much better friend to Joey than Joey deserves. So that's where we're at. (laughs) I feel like that's just Jen's eternal, like, struggle, that she's, like, a really good friend to other people. And people are not that great of friends to her. (laughs) Especially people who are, like, straight men and straight women. They both see her in a, in a, in a, in a, a way that I feel is a really a projection of their own personalities. Right. Um, like straight girls are jealous of her (laughs) and like straight guys only want to like sleep with her. Um, and then Jack, who's neither of these things, isn't that much better of a friend if we're being very honest, especially in like this back half of the series. Right. Jack is just sort of, yeah, that's true. Jack is definitely caught up in his own stuff in a lot of ways. Um, so let's talk about, oh, and then like Gretchen comes and we have like another sort of really annoying, but like not as annoying, like older woman, teenager romance mm-hmm. plot line that isn't, at, that like for me at least was not as infuriating as uh, the one in, you know, uh, the season first one. season one. Um, yeah. So about Gretchen, Gretchen, um, is Pacey's older sister. When she comes on the show, she is 21. Even though Sasha Alexander, who plays Gretchen looks all of 30 and looks, older uh, than she I do does right now. So like, <laughs> I, it wasn't until the rewatch that like, and I was like, really? Cause I'm, and I'm really watching it that I hear that she's like, 21. I thought this bitch was like a whole ass grad student, like at least 28. Like, I was yeah, like, wait, what? Like, she, like, n- this is the thing. Like, people think that when you say someone looks like in their 30s or 40s, that this means that they're showing visible signs of aging or like something about their body. No, she's fit. No, she doesn't have wrinkles, but she's clearly 30 plus, you guys. Um, Like I said, she looks older than I do now, but she's supposed to be 21. She's a college dropout or she's on sabbatical. Excuse me. She's on sabbatical from college when she's introduced into the show. And this is season four. So Dawson is 17. So like Alex said, it's not as cringe as a relationship between um, Tamara and Pacey and understand that she also grew up with Dawson like they grow up together. They've known each other their whole lives. They were children within the same space of time. Um, and yeah, some, I really think that there is such a thing as knowing somebody too well to find them attractive. Um, but that's what happens with Gretchen and Dawson. He, she's 21. He's 17. They kind of known each other their whole lives. They grew up in the same town. And, you know, she's not his teacher or any sort of authority figure in his life. So it's not anywhere near as cringe as um, um, Gretchen, I mean, as Tamara and Pacey 
And because Dawson is seen as maturing rapidly in this season, and we'll get to how later, um, and, you know, she is in a place in her life where she is admittedly feeling lost and doesn't know what road to turn to, them actually getting together makes a lot more sense than Pacey and Tamara ever did. Right. And and you're right. And that's, that's fair. Like, um, particularly like when, as you say, like she's lost, she's sort of like searching for something and Dawson is sort of like a placeholder, like in that search, or he's just something, he's something right. to do. And that's, that feels very real and very relevant and very fair. Right. And even the show even treats it that way, which I thought was also really brilliant and better handled than Pacey and Miss Jacobs, where, you know, when they end up breaking up and she breaks up with him later on this season at prom, she tells him, listen, I'm at prom. I should not be here. I'm too old for this shit. I'm searching for something and it's not here and I'm not the person you need to be with. And you need to figure your shit out, too, because you're just as guilty as I am of using this relationship as a placeholder and they end it and you know, he resists at first, but they end more or less amicably. Right. I do remember that, that they end super amicably and it was like, nice. It felt like that feeling of it ending the way it ended felt really great and really nice. Right. Um, it's very much coded as like they needed each other at this point in their lives, but this thing is not sustainable. It's not going to work long term and it needs to end. And then it did. And it's not romanticized the way that um, Pacey and Miss Jacobs was. Right. So then let's talk a bit about. Um, let's talk about because uh, this is an ongoing conversation you and I are, are always having. Um, let's talk about. Joey and Pacey in this like losing of the virginity story or like having or having (laughs) sex for the first time story. Right. Um, unlike Ryan and Marissa, right. Who we very, Alex and I are very much in the same boat. Everyone I know who watched the show was in the same boat where they really thought that, you know, in the beginning of their relationship, the first time they dated that Marissa and Ryan were absolutely fucking. And we get this, we, (laughs) we get the surprise sex scene at the tail end of the show. That's quote unquote, their first time. Joey is not right. And I'm like, pause. Okay. So Joey's not coded that way. Pacey has been with two women. He's in with Miss Jacobs and he's been with Andy. And he's thereby coded as being more experienced, not just because he slept with more people, but because Ms. Jacobs was an older woman, right? But Joey is very much a virgin. Um, and her virginity is like it's 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 it colors the whole season, season four. It so does. He, it takes up the whole season. <laughs> That's the whole fucking go. season. She's having these very, very defensive aggravating ass conversations with Pacey who is in no way, shape or form pressuring her to have sex. Let's right? be clear. He's like, it looks to be extremely clear. He's very like, you know, we'll do what we want to do when we want to do it. Like, it's not, if it feels like he's very, I guess, like intelligent in that way of like, you know, it's just, it's not, he doesn't make it this, for Pacey, he understands that, like, it's a thing, but he doesn't make it so big of a thing, if that makes any sense. 
Right. I mean, they've been on a boat together all summer. So they spent three months on a boat, canoodling together, cuddling up together every night, falling asleep in each other's arms. They're 17. Hormones are raging. Like, we get it. Pacey definitely wants to sleep with Joey, but he's never made it a make or break. It never loomed it over her head, never put a deadline on it, never tried to rush her. But just the very fact that he wants her and um, she is a seems to be both afraid of her attraction towards him and be afraid of Dawson's reaction if she should have sex with him it becomes a hang-up that looms over everybody. Like I said, it spills over onto Jen, who later advises her to get on birth control. Um, and it starts to really corrode um, at her relationship with Pacey because this tension is not a good t- tension. It's not like a, a sexual tension that's building up. There's a lot of nerves and anxiety. And what will people think involved in, just, in, in Joey's feelings about her virginity and it's really aggravating to watch right it's it's super aggravating to watch so something i want to touch and she and she's so aggro about it like she's and listen i just i i dig so deep because joey is like one of the most infuriating people so i'm digging really deep to empathize um and yeah, Joey's so aggro about it and puts so much on it, which is fair because I feel like that like is that because like I guess if like you're conditioned your whole life to like put so much on it, that mm-hmm. that's fair. That's fine. Okay, cool. Like I get it. So when they finally do it, they do it like on the ski trip, right? And right. Um, which it, which it almost doesn't happen. Cause she like self-sabotages it the whole way there. Like, <laughs> right. She really tried to like, to. It, it was like every from before they even got on the bus to go on the trip, she was making statements and asking questions that were clearly with the intent of quote unquote testing him and his quote unquote real intentions. Right. Which is by the way, such a weird, ugly, like manipulative little thing to do. Like when you keep like testing your partner, like, ugh, that's so, ugh, ugh. It's like, yeah, it is really manipulative. And the thing is like, Joey does this a lot. Like that's part of her character to test people around her and to like intentionally push their buttons. We got the first glimpse of this in her treatment of Jen. And then as a result of her relationship with Dawson, Dawson on the first season, right? She would do these things to like push buttons and needle people to try to get a response. Right. Um, she has like deep Scorpio energy that way. Uh, Bro, <laughs> that's so fucking real, you guys. <laughs> like, she must be. Um, and so then, you know, she and like shout out to Pacey. I guess Pacey like understands what she's doing, so he's just like, "Uh, girl, like chill." And um, and then they go for it, and it happens, and. Uh, it's really, I don't know. It's just like, whatever. It's not like sexy or anything, but, um, like, I mean, it's very PG 13. So it is, it's, it's just like, no, but there's a lot, you can do a lot in a PG 13 sexy, like, but like, it has to be done well. Like, um, you'll see when you watch the good wife, 
yo, when you watch The Good Wife and, like, Will and Alicia do it, you're going to be like, whoa, like, this is, I feel things. But, um, uh, I, I think what I want to talk about is sort of, like, the after words and something that I really liked. And so, so something that I really liked is that, um, post when they do it is that they get to this conversation. The show gets to this conversation that isn't really talked about in, in terms of like pleasure. Cause I feel like we talk about safe sex. We talk about like doing it or whatever. Yeah. We talk about safe sex. We talk about like, don't catch, you know, the crabs or the, or the syphilis, but uh, we don't talk about like, pleasure and like particularly like pleasure for women and like uh wanting that or like having a guy care about that or like making sure that like it's enjoyable for both parties and they do and like they spend like a, a significant amount of time on that mm-hmm. in the yeah, after the halloween they, episode right no but i mean right after the ski trip too. remember um pacey and Je- and joey got in that fight because he asked her how it was and she said it was fine and you know his his ego was a little bit bruised by that answer right and you know we're digging into the whole ramifications of someone's first time and what that means um you know for a lot of girls um i mean I hate when they do like the cut away during the sex scenes, but I would have liked an earlier cutaway with <laughs> Pacey and Joey. I'm sorry. Um, it was, it kind of made me uncomfortable to watch a little bit um, because that was the first time we really got to see her be that affectionate with him. Um, like tender and soft with him. And it was, it was strange because I'm like, this isn't really like Joey. Um, or why haven't we ever seen this gentler, softer side of her before? Like the closest thing we ever got to was when she would read to him on the boat. Um, so it kind of felt like when I saw their sex scene that I really did feel like it was the beginning of the end. And in a lot of ways it was. Right. Fair, mm-hmm. fair, fair. Also, um, Jen starts going to therapy, which is great. I love like the episode where she like stalks her therapist. That's hilarious. Jen going to therapy was something that definitely needed to happen. You know, the character is showcased as being like the troubled girl from the very first season. And then later on with Eve's appearance, we kind of get to the meat of some of the issues with her family, her issues with her mom, her issues with her dad, whom... Um, she walked in on having sex with a girl her age um, prior to her leaving New York. So she has a lot of issues with both of her parents that needed to um, be dealt with. Um, It's, I mean, also in season four, um, backtracking a little bit, nothing to do with Pacey and Joe, uh, uh, to do with Jen in particular. Season three, Henry had spent all of season three courting her only in season four for him not to even make an appearance, but send Jack to break up with her on his behalf, which was really, really low and um, a real betrayal after how hard he worked to get her. Right. 
that he couldn't even like pick up the phone to break up with her or break up to, with her to her face. He sent her best friend to break up with her on his behalf. And that was low and like retroactively completely ruined the Henry character. So Jen was dealing with a lot, you guys. Jen was dealing with a lot. Um, and then we sort of see that. Yeah. We see that depiction of like therapy and, uh, and then even more so just like, I think it's cool that like, what this is like 2000 this is either 1989 or like 2001 or two or something to have that sort of depiction of um of therapy and having it be normal and like caring about your mental health um is significant so Mm -hmm. shout out to that Right. Um, It is 2001 in season four. And what I also thought was significant, um, and maybe a lot of people won't see it that way, but I do, is that Jen's grandma is like super religious, but she's also supportive of Jen going to therapy. And a lot of times it's not that way. Um, You'll have like the religious parent or um, guardian who is very much opposed to therapy. And when you have someone like Jen, who is a non-believer, they will be like, well, your problems would be solved if you would just go to church, girl. Um, so right. um, her, her grandma's support, I thought, was really significant upon the rewatch. Um, Jack continues to be like... <laughs> such a wet blanket for gay representation. Yeah, he's so aggro. He's so aggro. Um, But, you know, ironically enough, this show won a GLAAD award for Outstanding Drama Series the year prior, season three, in the year 2000. Um, And I'm like, I don't think this is what the boys wanted when they said they wanted a gay on TV. I don't think this is what the boys wanted. (laughs) Right. I believe it, though, because he has, like, this whole coming out thing and, yeah, there's, like, that whole... It's, I guess, significant. It's it's significant. In all of this, like, in season four, like, I guess, like, the main sort of, in the core four, like, the main relationship is, like, Joey and Pacey, and Joey eventually, like, has, like, a pregnancy scare. <laughs> right Whoa. when, right yeah. when, um, oh, my gosh, Gail is about to, like, you know, deliver. Um, and we also get... Joey getting into the college of her choice, but she's unable, she doesn't know how she's going to pay for it, which I liked. Um, it's interesting. Uh, late nineties and early two thousands think a lot more about class, uh, amongst white people than, than they do now. Um, yes. Oh my God. I, when's uh, the last time I saw a poor white person on TV? Right. Like it was like a main character. Who's like a main character. Um, so season four, like, okay, so season four was the season where, um, um, Kevin Williamson leaves the show as showrunner and, um, the the show has a new showrunner and he, he expresses a lot of regret to how the Andy character was treated after he left that show. So what happens in season four is that Jen is like really fucked up over Henry and um she starts backsliding just a little bit and she's talking to Andy very casually about her 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 days as like a club kid in New York City and the drugs she would take and so Andy takes some um you know and she has a near fatal overdose mm-hmm. and um 
then the character is, um, you know, because her grades are so good, she has a chance to graduate early. Um, she is invited to go live with her aunt in Italy and she takes some up on it. So, um, you know, season four is the last time we see, I think the middle of season four is the last time we see Andy, you know, solidly as a, a part of the principal cast and she is relegated to supporting character role from there on out. Um, Kevin Williamson has expressed deep regret on how the character Andy was treated after he departed the series and um, how, you know, basically she was rendered to the role of this disposable, unimportant character. Right. When she, that's true. And she had been like a really important like figure and um, with sin- significant character throughout like uh, the, those earlier seasons. Um, so I actually agree with the, 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 the writers after, um, Kevin Williamson's departure. I didn't want Andy to leave like that, but, um, honestly, I didn't see much of a difference in the show after she left because a lot of her issues surrounded her feelings about Jack or surrounded her feelings about Pacey. Um, I felt that Andy had been deeply underdeveloped even when she was on the show. They gave her serious mental illness and they were like, that's enough. She's deep enough. She's developed enough. We don't, she doesn't need, she doesn't need a lot more than that. I didn't want her to go like that because I felt like a drug overdose. I mean, maybe it was kind of in character, but I felt like it was a little bit out of character um, for Andy to just be like, like, first of all, she's not a spontaneous person. So Andy just spontaneously taking some drugs and nearly overdosing really didn't track with how she'd been portrayed prior. My mind is like, you probably like, and you justify it in that, like, she's somebody who's always been very rigid and very, um, very rigid, very, uh, focused her whole life like she doesn't do quote-unquote like fun things and she just wanted to do the quote-unquote you know bad girl fun girl things particularly if she was like feeling out and about with like Mm -hmm. uh in terms of thinking you know she's gonna have a boyfriend going into to college pacey and then that's over and then there were moments in her life that she always thought like were significant and then they didn't pan out the way she thought they would. I could mm-hmm. see like that. Um, and I could understand that that's granted, even though that's sort of like more of like a college storyline, I, I still get it. And I didn't feel like it was so out of left field. Uh, Cause that felt real in that way. No, I get it. I mean, I could see that. Like I said, it's out of character, but it's also kind of in character, I guess, for um, her character to do uh, something that's a little bit reckless. Like you said, in the pursuit of um, trying something new or trying to have fun. So I guess in that respect, um, it makes sense. So in season four, At the end of season four, Dawson gets a new sister, Lily. But prior to this, he becomes friends with um, an older gentleman, Mr. Brooks, who is also a filmmaker. And Mr. Brooks makes a 17-year-old kid basically his um, power of attorney who decides if he lives or dies when he, you know, gets on child, on, excuse me, on life support. I was about to say child support, you guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so... In this Mr. Brooks subplot, Dawson is shown to be, like, 
really um, maturing rapidly. But then we get a taste of good old Dawson because when Joey and Pacey come back from that ski trip, his invasive ass asked her point blank, did she have sex with Pacey? To oh, gosh. Lies. That's horrible. Yeah. He I asked just, her if she like, had sex with Pacey. Is that your business? Like, right. Like, what? of your business. None of your None. business. But And he frames the question in such a way that like, hey, I know there's bad blood between us, but we can get over it. If you answer this question and you're honest with me, we can get back on track. So it's a little bit of that manipulation going on. And she can very clearly see that her answer to this question will determine whether or not they can be friends moving forward. So she lies and says that they don't. And then later on, Pacey learns that she lies because they're dating siblings, right? He's dating Gretchen. She's dating Pacey. It's going to get back eventually and um and pacey realizes that she lied and that's when the their relationship pacey and joey's begins to disintegrate because he feels rightfully that um you know um there is some shame on her part in being with him right right and no that's fair the prom episode pacey completely loses his shit causes a scene and breaks up with her at their senior prom uh yeah he does that was some it's, mess you guys it was a mess it was really messy it was really messy and then like jack had a talking to because remember last season season three he fucked up his junior prom with ethan and then history repeats itself in season four when um toby who's not even his boyfriend goes to prom with him they're having a good time they're all bantery and chatty and flurry and, and toby's looking mad cute and jack still can't get his head out of his ass long enough to enjoy himself jack is so disappointing um i think jack is the most disappointing because i like series finale the two sort of two-part series finale it's like he can't he's still not like okay with himself like the whole, like, this whole time he just spends just not being okay with himself. And it, and even in the series finale, when he finally, like, seems like he is, it just feels like it's too late. Yeah, like, this carries on, this, this um, you know, self-loathing gay man trope that he's been reduced to is, is, carries on all through high school, all through college. And I'm just like... He, you're like this is a waste. You're a waste. This is a waste. It, it um, is a waste. Wasting all your best years. Which, like, even so funny enough, like that's even a plot. Like it, it's a plot point that like reemerges in season four, right? Like on the ski trip, he almost has sex with Jen because like yes. it's out of nothing but self loathing. Like, and it's just like, what? Right. Stop this, Jack. Stop. Right. I think she's drunk. He's drunk, but she's a bit more drunk. Um, or he's, no, he's the more drunk of the two. Um, but here's the thing. And I said this before when I was recapping season two, when he and Joey had a romance briefly. Kurt Smith has some real fucking chemistry with these girls. He like, does. that kiss with Jen was the most believable thing in everything that he'd ever done since coming out, you guys. <laughs> Like, and it was steamy. They're rolling around on the carpet, lips intertwined. His hands are all over her body. He was really going to go the distance if she hadn't been the one to pump the brakes. Right. And, like, chemistry with Ethan was on null, even though he liked this guy. Like, chemistry with Toby was on, like, negative 1,000. Like, even when his character, like, 
embraces his feelings for these people, I don't believe it. Kerr Smith was out of his depth and out of his range. Like, it's not that just that he's self-loathing, right? We can have the self-loathing guy who also has intense chemistry with other men. I have seen this. That's true. Before. Cause you've seen it. Like, and I've, I've seen, seen it. it. That's true. I've seen it. Um, most recently, I think in like the striking vipers episode of um, black mirror, you had the bisexual man who had like this really steamy energy with men. Um, I have seen this done um, in, you know, movies, in films that talk about, like, the I've errors. seen it. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I was going to say, I've most recently seen it in that, that show we were talking about, Glow. That's, okay, so that's I've seen whole, it on Glow. Yeah, because that's the whole storyline, is that he's sort of, like, self, he's, he's very self-loathing, but, like, he is desperate to, like, fuck men. Right. Like, he just, like, mm-hmm. like, and it's at, like, the seams. It's bursting at the seams. And it's hot, too. Like, it, it's great. Like, in the, the actor sells it and it's it's great but you gotta be willing you have to do it right this is a matter of acting like even more recently you had Rami Malek who was cast as the king of queen Freddie Mercury and Freddie um was in the closet literally until the day before he died like he admitted that he um was um bisexual and that he had AIDS one day and he died the very next day. So he kept his shit very close to the breast. Um, and Rami Malik is um, a straight man who expressed some discomfort in playing a gay character. And he still managed to sell it, right? So you can sell someone who is wrestling with both feelings of shame about their sexuality or embarrassment about their sexuality and who has high chemistry with other men. And Kerr Smith consistently failed to deliver. <laughs> he does. He fails to deliver. I will say, like, Toby isn't that bad, but I mostly think, like, when he's with Toby, it's not like... It's funny. You said negative on thousand on Toby, but I didn't think Toby was that bad. I felt like... because, But mostly because, like, the actor who plays Toby, I felt, like, sold it. Like... Oh no 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 no! I'm talking about his attraction to Toby. I felt like that 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 chemistry was on negative. Like the, the actor who played Toby did what he had to do. So did the actor who played Ethan. Honestly, um, like and and this is what makes it so aggravating because Jack is coded as liking Ethan very much, but doesn't go there. And then he's 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 coded as liking Toby, but not wanting to like Toby. And he's like hyper aggressive with Toby. And I'm just like, oh, this is annoying. Right. Yeah, he, it's, it's his it's his end. It's his end that he doesn't hold up. It's definitely not on these other actors. They put in the work and Kurt Smith did not meet them halfway on that bridge. Fair. Um, so if you had to uh season four, good, bad, or basic. I thought season four, it was a little bit too much of Joey's drama, but I thought it was actually quite good. Same. I was gonna say, I think season four for me is like a solid, is a very solid good. Uh, if I had to pick some episodes from season four, uh, I'm going to go with the opener coming home season up. Oh my God. Episode seven. You had me at goodbye season. Oh, episode nine. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, episode 10 self-reliance episode 14, a winter's tale. Um, that's the episode that you talked about where Dawson uh, pulls the plug. On Mr. Yes. Brooks, uh, episode 15, four stories, the sort of annual 
I think Halloween episode, episode 16, Mind Games, episode 20, Promicide. Oh my gosh. And what then, a name. Uh, right? What a name. And then um, episode 22, The Graduate. And then episode 23, Coda, which is that season finale. Mm-hmm. And the season finale, um, you know, Joey and Dawson had, um, Joey and Pacey had already broken up at the prom. And she seems really, you know, broken up about it at the prom, but not as broken up as she was in her breakups with Dawson. And at that season finale, her and Dawson kiss. So, yeah, that shit again. Luckily, we don't have to deal with another season of them being in Cape Side on this back and forth because season five, everybody, or almost everybody, is in college. Yay! Yay! So... And so we've talked about this, about how this is, so this is always, this is, this, when everybody goes to college, this is always like, this is it. This is the true test of like a writer's room in terms of like, if you can make this sort of college transition season work. And funny enough, I think Dawson's Creek, if you choose the option because we've already talked about how Buffy is like Buffy just does it the easiest and like probably the truly like truly the best way which is just to make everybody go to the same state school but it is it is super realistic that everybody sort of goes their own way and uh, and they go off to different places uh, for college and if you do choose to go that route that everyone's going their own way and doing their own thing I definitely think that Dawson's Creek is probably the show that like handles it the best in terms of like really having it set of, of where everybody is in life and then doing the work to bring everybody back into the sort of same orbit. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think they, if you're going to go to different colleges, this is the way to do it. The way that Dawson's Creek did it is unbeatable and they stay true to character too right because not all the characters get into college um pacey's not in college in season four he's struggling he thinks he's about to flunk out of school and he's very close to doing so he ends up graduating though he get um he ends up passing his classes and passing his finals and graduating and Andy came home for that graduation episode which was really sweet to see her again um but when um Dawson is working as a film student in LA. Joey is at a um fic- at Worthington College, a fictional Ivy League in Boston. Jen and Jack are also in Boston. Um, they're living as roommates, and um, Jen is also in Worthington. And um, Pacey is working on a boat. He's working like at, at some nautical themed restaurant that's like um at a port somewhere, and like like um. They all go in and Joey sees Pacey working there. And it's kind of indicative of their relationship where like, I don't think he's embarrassed to be there, but she's kind of embarrassed for him. And then that makes him embarrassed. I think he's just frustrated that he's, that that she's embarrassed. Cause like, cause Joey just has these un Joey Pacey doesn't really feel any type of way about being right. Cause we've, we've, we've touched on this, like that, you know, Joey and Pacey are of the same class, right? They're both mm-hmm. poor. They're both like with 
Pacey's family, I think being work like very, I think working class, Joey's family being actively poor, um, working poor. Right. And Mm -hmm. Pacey doesn't really have any shame or hangups or sort of whatever about being working class. He doesn't think that it makes him any worse or any, and he doesn't think that like, he just, it doesn't make him any less valuable than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, he, but Joey, like, and he doesn't, he just doesn't feel any of that. Whereas Joey actively does like yes. Joey's actively ashamed of like being working poor. She's act- actively ashamed of like her familial background. She's actively ashamed that like her father's incarcerated and she comports her sort of like twists herself into knots. She doesn't try to pass herself off that she's like middle class or that she's rich, but she does twist herself into knots to make sure that like it's never brought up that people don't eat that, that she can move through the world in a way where people won't, where others like sort of like white people won't be like, Hmm, you're poor. Like I can tell like that's right. Joey's sort of a zero. Yeah, Joey definitely has a lot of shame about it, like Alex just said. Um, And the thing is, she has so much shame that she projects that shame onto other people. When it's people who are at a higher class than her, she automatically assumes them to be judging her. And when it's people at the same class or similar class as her, she automatically assumes that they have the same shame that she does. And it's really cringy to watch. It, it, it's really uncomfortable to watch, especially watching this as a girl who was was very, very much poor. <laughs> um, right. You know, when I was when I was a teenager, when I was the age that they were portrayed to be, hell, I'm I, I'm I'm not well off now, right? But I was much more poor, especially as a child, reliant on a single parent um, household and single parent income, and so that's we see where everybody's standing when season five enters. We meet some new supporting characters. We meet Charlie played by Chad Michael Murray, who would go on to play the legendary Lucas Scott of One Tree Hill. We meet Audrey, Joey's roommate, who's played by Busy Phillips. And she kind of becomes to season five, like a more palatable version of what Abby was in season two. She's definitely, you're right. She's definitely, Audrey is a a more like endearing and fun Abby. Um, Mm -hmm. And Busy Phillips is so great. She just is, she's very charming and and does a great job. Yeah, she's really good at these roles. So um, after this show, I watched Freaks and Geeks for the first time, which is a show that only lasted one season. It's actually quite good. But Busy Phillips, that was like the first time she'd been on television. It was a first for a lot of people because I think Judd Apatow produced the show and had a lot of the people that went on to be like really big in his films. Busy Phillips, Seth Rogen, James Franco, Rashida Jones, that whole crew were in that show. And she plays a very similar character on Freaks and Geeks that very like kind of like bad girl with the edge of charm. Um and, you know, there's just, there's something very captivating about her as an actress. And she really shines as Audrey, I think. She does. She shines at Audrey. She shines at that sort of, like, archetypical, like, truth-telling, but, like, sort of, uh, 
flighty rich girl. Um, and it's, it's great. Um, it's unfortunate now that I guess she's like had like trouble, I guess, working. Um, cause she's great. She's super great. So season five, Dawson drops out of school eventually. Right. He does drop out because he wants to move to Boston and be closer to his friends, which is legit. Which is he feels lonely out here. Out there. Out there in LA. And Jack and Jenner at NYU, but then they eventually leave. Why? Again, that reminds me. I forget. I, they left because she never, I, I believe part of it was that she never wanted to be in New York. New York held a lot of bad memories for her. And he ended up getting into like a, a really good school um, in Boston. So they just like made the switch, I guess. Right. So uh, then they- um, so she starts living on campus at Worthington and he starts living at the frat house that he's trying to rush. Yeah. No, he right. didn't even he doesn't even have to rush. They want him because they wanted a token gay um in their frat. <laughs> right. And we'll get to that because that's that whole storyline is so aggro and like so upsetting for a lot of reasons. So Dawson like gets out back to sort of Massachusetts. And there's this, um, and he and Joey sort of have this, like, will they, won't they? And, but they're coming back together in season five. And then, like, a big thing happens. And Dawson's, which is, like, Dawson's dad, like, kicks the bucket. Um, yeah, yo, they can't, I can't believe they killed Mitch off. Like, there's literally, there was no reason except to bring the crew back together, right? Right. And it's so unfortunate because, like, Mitch is so, like, so good looking. This is going to sound fucked up, but why didn't y'all kill Gail? You, they really could have killed Gail, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think it's because, you know, he had a sister now and she's like a baby. And maybe they're yeah. like, well, you can't take the baby's mom away. But I'm right. like, listen, I've always been team Mitch, so. I've always been team Mitch. But, um. Yeah, Dawson's dad dies, and that sort of sends everything uh, into, like, this chaotic sort of, um, and, like, like... Here's the thing, too, like, real quick, like, they also could have killed Jen's grandma, who's, like, a legit old person, and got the crew back together when everyone, for once in their fucking lives, decides to be a good friend to Jen for a change and comes to comfort her. <laughs> but whatever. Mm-hmm. No, they would never. Um, <laughs> they would never. So then Dawson really has to stay home because he needs to help his mom and like help his mom with the restaurant and like their business and the baby and and um and also Dawson. You know, Dawson's Mitch was such a huge figure in Dawson's life, so he's you know getting panic attacks and and need ends up staying uh in Cape Side for like his health. So and then yeah, everybody comes back and of course Joey like makes it about her. She always makes it about her. And but but here's the thing. Dawson did it first. So here's a recap on what happened, you guys. He came home to tell his father that um he wasn't gonna be going back to school. Mitch got pissed off and left the house and went for a drive. I believe it was raining, and he died in that car accident. And so Dawson then, in his grief accuses Joey of causing his father's death because prior to this, they had slept together for the first time. And a part of the reason he'd wanted to stay in Boston was to be closer to her, not just his friends in general, but to her. Did he tell her this? Not really. 
Um, did he tell his father this? Not really. But then when his father dies and Joey goes to come for him, he like flat out accuses her of causing his father's death. Like if it wasn't if I if it wasn't for you and me being so hung up on you, my father would still be alive and da 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 da. And it's real ugly. It's real ugly. Oh yeah, he does do that. It is, and you're right. It is super ugly. It's so ugly, and I'm just like, damn, homie. Like the fact that she even talks to him after this, like she's a bigger person than me, because like. If you're accusing me of causing your relative's death that I was not a part of and I was in nowhere near, like, those are fighting words. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> those are fighting right. words. Right. So then I guess Joey just internalizes it, I guess. Um, yes. Typical. But even then, that's so Joey. Um, she internalizes it and and it leads to, to, just, to just badness. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but then... It does, yeah. He she internalized it, and then so then they're like broken, and they're they they're not to be fixed. But then something amazing happens, and Jen and Dawson get together, and it's like the greatest. It's the greatest. Like first of all, besides Kurt Smith's chemistry with like all the girls on the show, Jen and Dawson, I believe, really had the best energy. It's heated but relaxed at the same time. Like it's not cringe to watch them because there isn't like unnecessary tension, like extra baggage tension going on. If you had told me that Michelle Williams and oh my god, what's his name? James Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek had like fucked in real life, I would absolutely believe you. Like mm-hmm. off nothing off, <laughs> off of absolutely nothing but the strength and the energy of like like when they're together on screen because we talk about you and I talk about how like sexual tension like is are two people who like are desperate to fuck each other but they haven't yet and once but like once they have once they fucked then it's like it's gone like it because it's been fulfilled and then the energy like it's still there but it it becomes like a completely different energy and Mm -hmm. I feel like James Vanderbeek and Michelle's Williams is like is that energy like personified of like yes we have sex but like uh, just like yes we we have sex with each other this is a thing yeah yeah like uh, when I watch them together even circa season one there really wasn't a lot of sexual tension especially on Michelle's part but there's a lot of like sexual energy like people who are very familiar with each other they're very comfortable their interactions like their interactions were just so much more pleasing to watch and like Joey and Dawson, for for instance, who I guess their interactions were more realistic from the perspective of like teenagers. Um, but it was always fraught with that like unnecessary tension and anxiety and personal insecurities that James and Michelle never brought to um, Dawson and Jen. And when they were together, which was very, very natural. Um, it seemed very, very natural. They they seem to understand each other's body language really, really well. So I also think that like if they if they said they'd slept together, I would be like, uh huh, I see that. <laughs> be like, yeah, I see that. Um, but Dawson and and listen, I am like, uh, and so then Dawson and Jen get together, and they are like the wave once again for the second time. They are absolutely the wave, and. Jen and Dawson always work because like Jen knows how to like just deal. Jen has like has like just has like a fundamental understanding of like Dawson's neuroses and she doesn't like let it she doesn't let it she supports him without letting all of that like weirdness like bother her. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Like, she really but, is the ideal partner for him. I don't know about the reverse, is. but she is the best person for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, she doesn't let it like mess up her shit. Like, and and it's funny because then they have they even have this like remark. They have this sort of um, they say it on the show. They're like Jen says it. She's like, I've never been with somebody who I really liked. And I really trusted. And that was like super healthy for me. And like, I think I like it. I think I like, you know, this healthy ass relationship, Um, which is why they, which is why it's really upsetting to me that they end it in the most like bullshit of ways. They're like, so when it ends, when Jen and Dawson like ultimately break up like this, the whole thing is, is like, Oh, there's no passion. There's no bickering. There's no fighting. I'm like, what kind of bullshit? This is the most dysfunctional ass romanticization of dysfunction that I've ever seen. (laughs) Right? Just like, I'm like, what kind of bullshit is this? And then they both talk to each other and they're like, yeah, I guess like we just needed each other at that moment. But like, it's over now. I'm like, is it? Like, is no, this it? is what healthy relationships look like. You dump, you know what? Yeah, I'm done. I was so done with them. Like, this is what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. That's what it looks like. It, ooh, it was just, it's upsetting. It's so upsetting to watch. Um, it's like, listen, we don't argue enough, so we must not be that attractive. We must not be in love. Like, we, love, there must like, not be love in our future because we don't like nitpick at each other and we don't like break each other's hearts and we don't disrespect each other on a daily basis. We must not be in love. Right. And when we have problems with each other, we, we talk them out like responsibly and get to the heart right. of the situation. Right. Cause she does, cause Jen does try to sabotage it. Like, she does like a little thing and he's like, girl, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm not, I'm not these other like dudes. Like it's me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna cheat on you. I'm not gonna act crazy. I'm not gonna do any of these things that you're used to. So just, just chill. Right. Um, so like prior to this, like I said, he and Joey had slept together. Then Mitch died. And I want to talk about some of the subplots of season five. So one of the subplots is Jack getting into um, this frat. Oh, and then being like ashamed of of Toby. So he dumps Toby. You guys, he dumps Toby when he has Toby asks him to choose between him and his frat. Who's like, and the frat is like deeply homophobic. Like I said, they just want him as a token gay man to get their diversity points up because it's easier than like Negroes or Asians, you know, and right. um. And then when he's at the frat house, he's rooming with this guy who feels really uncomfortable with him, but turns out to be secretly um, gay and closeted. And this guy accuses Jack of forcing himself on him. All hell breaks loose. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really disgusting. And you know what? I don't feel not one bit sorry for Jack because he saw how these people were and he was cool with it as long as he wasn't the gay that they they were hating, right? But when even, he, oh, sorry, it's finished. when he gets a taste of their homophobia, then he realizes, oh, these people are trash. And even then, like, yeah. And once he gets a, like, once they're explicit about their homophobia, but even when they're not explicit, like, it's clear that he's feeling, he's like, he's, he's just feeling that sort of 
cis, straight uh, gays, um, and he's collapsing under and that stress and he's collapsing under the weight of it because, you know, he does develop this like sort of alcohol dependency and is like partying really hard and he, his, his grades start to fail and he starts kind of showing all these like telltale signs of, I think the beginning stages of like a depression and it, and like really, and working overtime, hurting himself, not being healthy, like emotionally to serve, to like please these people who don't give a shit about him. They don't. And it even fucks with his friendship with Jen, um, you know, early on when she's like, these people don't care about you. They don't respect you. They don't respect anybody. And he's like, well, that's where I need to be. You know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But I feel like it kind of tracks with the Jack character and the Jack that we know that he would um, put himself in this homophobic frat house um, and surround himself with people who are as ashamed of him as he is of himself because that self-loathing in him makes this make perfect sense, right? But then when he's surrounded 24 hours a day, seven days a week with these types of people, it really starts to eat away at him. Um, you know, it's, it's much bigger than his self-loathing at this point, right? You're being actively or passively told that you're inferior by these people. And he, he cannot, he cannot withstand under the weight of him. Like Alex said, we can see depression. We can see him using alcohol as a coping mechanism. He's like literally two steps from being like your local college alcoholic. Right. And, and it's all just because he's just, it, it's the culmination of everything and um it's ugly to watch it's hard to watch it's ugly to watch uh mm-hmm. and but i felt like the, but i but there was part of me that really felt like but i i really liked it though i thought it was well done i thought it was well written because i think the way that they show it and sort of show his descent felt really it felt it, i think it was subtle it was, it just, it was subtle. It wasn't like, I didn't feel like they were beating my head over. They were beating me over the head with it. And I felt like it was subtle enough that like, I got it. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and just really, yeah, I liked it. I liked it too. I think that was the best work they'd done with Jack since before he came out the closet, to be very honest with you. Um, and I feel like that was a lesson the character needed to learn because his self-loathing was what got him into that environment. And it was really, he was put in a, a situation where it was like, accept yourself, love yourself or die, literally die. Right. Literally die. <laughs> um, um, another subplot is that um, Audrey and Pacey start dating. Remember that? Oh yeah. Remember that I girl? That was cute. That. That, was that was cute. cute. They were very Pacey, cute together. Pacey was good for Audrey, but Audrey was not that great for Pacey. She is an alcoholic, and that that kind of culminates when we see her later um, in that season, where she has a lot of issues, a lot of similar issues to what Jen was dealing with in season one and two. And, you know, it gets the best of her. Another subplot was Graham's dating a black man, Clifton Smalls. Graham's get a rebrand as not a racist. So. I felt like that was unfair to Clifton. It was, it was, and she was actually a really good partner for him, but I'm like, you don't know the shit she was saying like a little minute ago, but I guess at their age, he probably assumed that she had a racist past. I mean, how could she not? Right. Um, Maybe he, um, 
We're just trying, I don't know. He was just trying to make something happen. Also, you know what I was not feeling, though, was uh, Joey and Charlie. I was a little bit here for Joey and Charlie, and I was a little bit not. So, uh, refresher for the listeners. Charlie started off as um, a guy who works at the college um, campus radio station, um, and he starts off as Jen's boyfriend, who's cheating on her with another girl. A really beautiful black girl is featured as this other girl. And they, they find out, um, she and Jen find out that Charlie's cheating on them and it ends. But later on, Charlie starts, you know, after the whole Mitch dying and this huge roof with Dawson, um, Jen, I mean, excuse me, Joey and Charlie start dating. And I actually think that Charlie's really good for her um, because this is the first time that I'd ever seen a relaxed version of Joey in a relationship. A lot of her triggers that I think both Pacey and Dawson trigger, Charlie did not trigger. Charlie was not her childhood love, so she didn't feel the need to constantly perform for him. Charlie was not poor, and um, Charlie didn't care about... Charlie was both very upper middle class and simultaneously did not care about things like money, which is a privilege, right? So Charlie did not make... did not trigger that. Charlie was in college, um, but he was also a musician. There was something about Charlie that made joey very relaxed and she was actually most enjoyable to watch while dating charlie for me real 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 like i didn't see it for them long term but i'm like finally this girl stops being insufferable when she's with a dude charlie later breaks she breaks up with him because he's trying to stay and be with her but she breaks up with him so he goes he can go on tour with his band and band is code for the WB stopped fucking around and gave Chad Michael Murray his own show, and he's about to be on One Tree Hill. That's the tour, you guys. <laughs> That's the tour. That's the tour. Um, the WB really appreciates its actors, you guys. Chad did the did the run around. Michael Bear, who went on to play um, Max on Roswell, he was also featured on Dawson's Creek, for he got his own show, Roswell. A lot of people that tried out for Dawson's Creek audition and didn't even get roles on this show became um, principal cast members of other WB and CW shows. They 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 keep people in the fold really well. <laughs> they do. They 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 really do keep people in the fold. Um, even now, like uh, I feel like half of the cast that was on the originals is now like on um, Roswell, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they got, obviously, that show was backdoored through TVD. Um, like, honestly, I think the only member of, of the only person who was on the original TVD that was had never been on a WB show before was Nina Dobrev. Um, she came straight from Degrassi. Um, when Mia quote unquote went on went to Paris to be a model and when and came to Mystic Falls to be Elena. Ian Summerhalder had been on Young Americans as a principal cast member. He'd also um had a um guest starring role on Smallville prior to that. Paul Wesley was on the show um the miniseries Fallen prior to this. So like they really keep people in the fold. And Paul Wesley also had like a bit uh arc on smallville as well he did he did i completely forgot about that i mean he even he even went to oc season one remember that right <laughs> although oc is fox but like yeah they yeah they they keep their they definitely keep their people cwwb keeps their people close um, busy, you guys <clears throat> um so what do you think of season six how did it season- how did it feel 
Uh, or season five. Season five is um, great. I love season five. Um, season five is where it's at for me. This is this season I think I like. I think it might be my... It's like definitely one of my top Dawson's Creek seasons that I always enjoy. That I always try to give a rewatch every once and again. Just 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 that season. Um, I think it's good. I think it's a solid good. I think I like I like the the different plots uh, and character storylines, and I like I love how they handle this college transition. I still watch it and study it for that reason. And yeah, uh, if I had to pick some episodes that I think you should watch, I think you should watch The Bostonians. I think you should watch, that's episode one. I think you should watch episode three, Cape Side Revisited. Episode five, Use Your Delusion. Episode seven, Text, Lies, and Videotape. Episode eight, Hotel New Hampshire. Episode nine, Four Scary Stories, the annual Halloween episode. Episode... 10, Appetite for Destruction. Episode 11, Something Wild. Episode 12, Sleeping Arrangements. Episode 13, Something Wilder. Uh, Episode 14, Guerrilla Filmmaking. Uh, Episode 17, Highway to Hell. Episode 19, 100 Light Years from Home. And then episode 23, Swan Song. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are all great episodes. Um... For me, um, season five was was also good for the reasons Alex stated. I think they handled the college tra- college transition well, but also I feel like all, all of the characters made growth and growth in the right directions. Pacey really comes into his own, um, you know, um, when he's like um, more more or less more divided from the rest of the group as everyone else is, right? He really comes into his own and he's like kind of flourishing away from um, Dawson and Joey. Jen really falls into her groove. Dawson loses his virginity and becomes like a good boyfriend to Jen. Like this is like the best version of Dawson. This is the least insufferable version of Dawson and the least insufferable version of Joey are in this season. Season. And for that reason, it's it's a win. It's a win. It's such a big win. Yeah. That's that's it. So season six, the final season of 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 Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. This was this is my least favorite season. Same. So um, it starts off in college, and then we get a fast forward five years into the future in the in the season finale episode, which was so unnecessary. Why? Why? I guess it's like the 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 point is to like wrap up, right? You wrap up so you know that like okay, every person eventually went on to do or be whatever. Um, so you can sort of there's like a I guess there's like a a finale like a finality to it. that's not a word, but there is like a it feels like an ending when you do that. I said I feel like a lot of writers should resist the urge to tie everything up in a neat little bow. I think there is a beauty in the mystery of things left unsaid. Like especially on a show like this, I understand people are incredibly verbose. Um, but not everything needs to be said. Um, not everything needs to be explained. I think one of the best examples of this is actually the middle grade children's book Holes by Lewis Sakar. There are 
a lot of unknowns in the plot itself, right? And there's a lot of unknowns after things are quote unquote resolved. And that's what makes the story beautiful because then you can write your own story and fill in those holes. Um, and yeah, this, this finale did not hit, but let's talk about what happens prior to the finale. Joey, Joey starts dating Eddie, who is played by Oliver Hudson, um, who later got his own spinoff show that lasted like one season on the WB. Oliver Hudson, who is so charismatic. Um, yeah. So like they, in the fact that like she dates Oliver, so she, Joey dates Oliver Hudson and then she'll date like one more, like one more person will fall in love with her. And this is why, like, I'm the biggest believer that like Joey is like the Elena, like prototype, like, because it's like all these dudes, I guess her, like her badge is magic and all these dudes like love her, but she's not like. She's not, like, that compelling of a person. Like, if any, if there's going to be anybody that, like, dudes, like, fall over themselves for, like, consistently, like, or, like, all these, like, dudes just, like, absolutely have to, like, love Joe, like, loves, like, a girl. It's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I believe that that, that girl is Joey. But whatever. Continue. Show. I feel like that's a a thing that happens sometimes in life where someone who doesn't seem to be that magnetic has people around them. But I also think like, it's like a white girl fantasy to have all of these suitors and all of these options. Um, they make it very clear that a lot of these guys are like attracted to Joey's beauty and, um, her elegance and her intelligence. And she's got those yeah, well, Katie Holmes' eyes are green, but they keep talking about how Joey has these big chocolate brown eyes and they didn't even give homegirl contacts, but whatever. And how like captivating it is. And Kevin Williamson actually said he cast her to play Joey because her of her eyes and her audition tape. He said her eyes had this deep sadness and he could easily see someone falling in love with her. This imagining of this down-home normal girl who has this this abnormal effect on men and and you know before she even fully realizes how beautiful she is men are like knocking down her door um was definitely kevin williamson's williamson's creation and i definitely think like it's a huge white girl quality like for me when i think of someone like joey i don't necessarily think of elena but i do think of bella from twilight like Bella had no personality, no goals, no interests, no hobbies, nothing. But like Jacob and Edward were like really like trying to die to be with this girl. And I'm like, I don't see it, but okay, go off, I guess. <laughs> like very, very basic in all the ways that matter. Um, but Eddie's with her, Eddie likes her. That ends. I'm not really sure 100% how that ends. Audrey is still struggling with her alcoholism. Um, and it gets really bad this season, you guys. It's really, really bad season six. Audrey needs help and won't admit that she needs help. And she is just spiraling. Um, Jack has a redemption arc. He's free of the frat house. He's being a good person. They have this new roommate who is British, Emma. And Jack actually offers to marry her so that she can stay in this country, which is a... <laughs> That's Which so you guys, scary. let's be very clear. This is a rip of a storyline from Felicity, 
where Felicity has a manager at Dean and DeLuca, a gay man named Javier, who um, is undocumented, and she offers to marry Javier so that he can stay in the country. Um, but yeah, Jack, Jack, Jack actually like stops being a selfish, self-loathing asshole in season six. So yay! <laughs> right, and then we have Dawson. Dawson sort of like has gone. Dawson went back to to film school and like I guess finished, or and then he gets like an opportunity. He just sort of falls into an opportunity to like direct a movie. Um, it's like a B movie, but like he does it, and it, it it it's it's the thing that launches his career as a director. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he gets to realize his dream, um, and then Joey more or less gets to realize her dream as well. Not She's that she had that. a dream for the first like five seasons, but that's fine. That's what I mean. I mean, this is my this is my issue with Joey. Like, cause I'm just like he doesn't like what I like. We I'm puzzled by all these men who find this like woman with no interests fascinating, like or like no sort of ambit, like not even because I think like there is. I just don't get it, but whatever. Like, conti- like it's continue. She gets another dream, basically. She gets another dream somewhere, somehow. Along yeah, and she starts. What does she start working? She starts working at a publishing house. Yeah, like she's she, like an editor or something. But then, yeah. like, she realizes, like, I really should be writing. And she talks about how writing was her first love, even though she definitely said that art was her first love in season two. But whatever. Um, <laughs> and. Pacey's doing well for himself, but in this season, like he's working at an investment firm and he loses Dawson's life savings in a bad investment, you guys. Do you remember right. that? Uh no. He loses Dawson's life savings. Um, somehow is able to get it back on track. Like I think he gave Dawson the money back from like his own earnings and his own savings. He's later fired from the investment firm. But you know, he like kind of starts his own and he goes back to Cape side and um, everyone comes back to, to Cape side at the end of season six, because Gail is getting remarried. Now Gail is a luck. She's kind of like Joey in that regard. There's really nothing that special about Gail, but she got a good man to marry her twice. She had a dude on the side and then she got another, um, she signed another good white husband before the series ended. Good for her. You know, that's, that's, that's Gail for you. That's Gail. The season finale takes us into the future where Jen is a mother. She has a daughter, Amy. And Jen um, is dying. She had some heart condition that n- never presented a problem all the seasons prior and all her life, but just kicked in in her 20s. Jen is killed off at the age of 24. The character is 24 years old. And Kevin Williamson actually says the same person who was mad about them getting rid of Andy in a very benign fashion talked about how, quote, um, he did this to Jen as a means of not just getting the group back together, but, quote, forcing Joey to make a choice between Dawson and Pacey. So she had to die for Joey to make a choice, you guys. Ew. That's so Everything, ill. It's so cringe. Ew. That's so cringe, like, because mostly for the, like, that's what I'm, and that's annoying because like, so yeah, so let's talk about the series finale. So Gail getting married could have been enough. (laughs) 
like from, for the series finale. Like it really could that that that's fine. Like it could have just been that. Like no, Gail, they could have had um, Jack and Doug get married. Doug get married, right? That would have and co- that could have and would have been absolutely enough. And I'm annoyed that like it's they didn't need to kill Jen because watching this show beginning to end, it's so clear that like it sh- it it it's the wave is Joey and Pacey and Dawson and Jen. Like mm-hmm. that's it. That's that's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's meant to be. And the fact that the show just fucks it up just for the sake of like, but this Joey person who you couldn't even be bothered to like give like a real personality to and like just got a random interest by like mid season six of writing and editing is the true sort of like is is the decider or is going to decide between Joey and Pacey is just like, I don't know, it's bullshit. Right. So, like, Jen and Joey never had a real friendship. 100% Joey's fault. Um, Like, they were never, like, close. But on her deathbed, Joey, um, Jen asked Joey to, you know, put these boys out of their misery and make make a choice. Make a choice. Kevin Williams says on Jen's death, quote, Dealing with the death of one of their own was the final thing that thrust them into adulthood forever. Dawson's Creek was a coming of age story and that was the idea behind that ending that's why we killed Jen because I wanted them to deal with a death of one of their own as that final lesson that's what forced Joey to make a decision I'm like you know what (laughs) nah fam I'm not with it I'm not with it they could have killed Grams right they could have killed Grams um it could have been that Jack finally now that he stopped being self-loathing he's in an open relationship with Doug who Pacey always said was gay by the way right Um, like that was a running thing (laughs) yeah he always said his brother Doug was gay but they Jack and Doug are together Jack is happy you can see the burden of self-hatred lifted off of him if he'd been the one to come to Joey because they're they're actually close and be like listen sis you can't waste your, your time. Make a decision. It, it could have hit just as hard. I'm sorry. I don't need Jen to die for her to finally, um, you know, make a decision on this, you know, Pacey or Dawson thing. And Jen dying is really a disservice to the protagonist, Dawson. What does Dawson get out of Jen dying? Explain. Right. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it because it doesn't make any sense. And, like, the final image... One of the final images of the series is this, uh, they replay this sort of scene of Jen. They replay like that, that um, short uh, shot of Jen getting out of the taxi cab and her sort of being this, um, you know, figure and I'm like, it would have just been much more stronger if it had been actually Jen, like real Jen, alive Jen, walking out, getting out of the taxi cab, walking to Dawson in like their, you know, they float off into the sunset forever or whatever. Right. Because I feel like, I don't know about you, but I felt like after Jen's death, I feel like there was a, a big push there where, or a big um epiphany in Dawson's mind where he realizes that even though Joey was his first love, that Jen was his true love. 
and he realizes this after the fact. Right. Uh, right. Right. And, and it's, that, real, it's 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 so frustrating because what are you gonna do with that? She's dead. <laughs> what are you gonna do with that? She's dead. Um, girl, it's a lot. But uh, so let's, and then let's, they throw Audrey by the wayside. <laughs> Poor Audrey. They throw. Um, I didn't feel that bad for Audrey. I mean, she came in in season six. I wasn't that attached to her, and she she was kind of shown as they really set her up early as someone who was going to go off the rails. I wanted better for Audrey, but I wasn't sad to see Audrey go. Like legit, I'm sorry. Busy Phillips like still feels some type of way to this day about not being asked back for the series finale. Yeah, no. You know who's allowed to feel some type of way? Um. Mary Margaret Humms, who played Gail, and John Wesley Shipp, um, who played Mitch, were not invited last year to the 20th anniversary um, reunion cover for Entertainment Weekly. They're allowed oh, wow. to have some type of way. Oh, I they actually some type of way. They released reactions on Instagram. And then Meredith Monroe, who played Andy, and Katie Holmes, Joey, wrote both posts of gratitude to Ship and Humes in response. Now, they're allowed to feel some type of way. Gail and Mitch were actually staple characters on that show. Um, Busy Phillips is not allowed to feel some type of way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, hon. You were not as important to that story as you think you were. <laughs> um <laughs> So let's get into some like random Dawson's Creek trivia that I unearth while I'm getting ready for this episode. Catherine Heigl, who went on to star as Isabel in Roswell, actually auditioned for and was a strong contender to play Jen Lindley before the role was ultimately given to Michelle Williams. Um, now, that Michelle Williams. Not. That it would have not. It would have not hit, but. I think I'm saying it for a different reason than you're saying it. Um, so when I was looking up Dawson's Creek, you know, alum and how they feel about the show, Michelle Williams really didn't like being on the show. She was talking about how the writers never, ever took any input from the cast. You were just given a script and usually like a few days before shooting. And that was it. And you had to just make the script work. And I think she did beautiful things with Jen, but absolutely none of her input um, there is no Michelle Williams impact on the written script. Only the character is portrayed. And she was really, really frustrated being on this show that really took, um, didn't take the, the opinions of their actors into consideration whatsoever. Catherine Heigl is someone who is very vocal about the characters that she's played and even retroactively assassinated some of the characters that she's portrayed. So I know she would not have been able to, to, to play to play Jen without some sort of like full on meltdown. I just don't think she would have been right for it. I, I think Jen required like, a, I think Michelle Williams just, I think Catherine Heigl can have like a harsh energy about her. And I think you see that like uh, in Isabel and Roswell. And I think you see that like in Izzy and uh, Michelle Williams was just perfect. I think like in terms of like having that more like, uh, like I think that softer vibe about about her was, mm -hmm. was a better choice, just in general. Um. Well, Catherine Heigl's excuse me, Catherine Heigl is can actually bring that energy when required. So, prior to the casting of Dawson's Creek being finalized, she had been um, she had starred in uh, a movie with French actor Gerard Depardieu um, called My Father, My Hero, where she plays a fifteen year old girl. 
And literally that entire movie is nothing but like soft, feminine, um, you know, searching teenage girl energy. It's completely different from the portrayal she gives of, of, of Isabel um, both on Roswell and Grey's Anatomy. So she, she, she has, she actually can do those roles and she did them well. Um, and that her role, her appearance in that movie was actually why she was a contender to, um, play Jen, but ultimately she didn't get the role. Michelle Williams did what she had to do. And we love her as, as Jen. I really, really love Michelle Williams as Jen. I, I think that role really helped solidify her career in the best possible way. And I'm happy for her. Um, I already mentioned Selma Blair was the first choice to play Joey until they saw Katie Holmes's audition tape. In addition to Joshua J- Jackson, who auditioned for every male role except for Mitch on that show, um, Adrian Grenier auditioned as Dawson, Adrian Grenier of Entourage fame. Um, Charlie Hunnam auditioned for the show, but and he was but he wasn't cast, he was cast as writer in the spin-off Young Americans. Adam Brody um, who went off to who went on to play Seth Cohen on the OC, as well as Scott Speedman, who went on to play Ben Covington on Felicity, also auditioned for the show. And theme song. So I Don't Wanna Wait by Paula Cole was the original theme song. And it remained the theme song in the DVD released for seasons one and two in North America, but was replaced in all the other seasons as well as streaming version by Run Like Mad by Jan Arden. Now, Kevin Williamson said, said that his original choice for the intro song was actually Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette, um, which I thought would actually be really cute because <laughs> I love that song. I listen to it pretty often and I can I can I could instantly see it with like the the opening theme montage. So a lot of people were considered for the show. A lot of artists were considered for this show. Um, the music curators had to give the entire show a whole new soundtrack after the soundtrack was gutted because they didn't they did they hadn't secured the use of these songs in perpetuity. But Dawson's Creek, you know, despite all the cooks in the kitchen and all the things that went wrong, is still a landmark show. It really changed the foundation of teen dramas so what do you think of season six alex season six is is fine um it's not a a particular like like i uh it's it's fine i actually think it's good i think i like the the plot with with dawson and i think it's i think the plot with dawson and him falling into the directing job is really satisfying since it's something I think we've been building with, we've been building on it since uh, season one. Um, I think uh, Pacey's like sort of end is also really satisfying. And Pacey gets a win finally. Yeah, I think, and I feel like that tracks for just who he is as a character, who he is as a character, and sort of in a real world sort of perspective. I'm not crazy about. Obviously, I'm not crazy about Jen, and I'm not crazy about Joey. But other than that, it's it's fine. So, like, good, yeah. I think it was both good and basic. So, parts of it that I found good was like Jack finally living his best life, Doug finally living his best life. I, I was I felt really vindicated by Pacey, the the ending that Pacey was given as well. Um, I was happy for Dawson; he was living his dream, even if he was living alone, and. 
he's someone who's very clearly coded as wanting romance and wanting friendship in his life. Um, so I thought that the show did him dirty in that regard. I was glad that Joey got over her hangups. Um, but what they did to Jen really left a sour taste in my mouth. I, I couldn't hang with it. I'm sorry. I'm not okay with what they did to Jen. I, <laughs> um, other bit of, of random trivia for people who used to watch the Amanda show. Um, the Amanda show used to have a sketch called Moody's Point, and it was a parody of Dawson's Creek. And that actually ended when the series ended. Like there was oh, like a running, it was, it was like a running skit, like Moody's Point. And they had this, these really moody teenagers with all of these emotions <laughs> talking, um, using polysyllabic words and having these running monologues like Gen X and, and boomers really left their footprint all over the show. Um, everybody from showrunners to the writers were that. And which is why I think a lot of the characters were so in, insufferable to watch at times because then when they were teenagers, they were very, you know, decidedly teenagers, but then they would try to like mature and age the characters in ways that did not slap. <laughs> But yeah, season six was okay. Like I, I want to say that Dawson's Creek is one of the rare shows that did not have a bad season. Um, but that shit was basic. Why did you mm-hmm. kill off Jen? There was what? What was the reason? Mad TV also had like a really funny Dawson's Creek sort of ske- ongoing sketch. Um, I think I remember that. Pretty white kids with problems. Yes. Yes, and it was really, really funny, and it was and it was ongoing. They would just do it from time to time. I think mm-hmm. uh, so far as to, uh, and they had like a couple. They had like pretty white kids with problems, but then they also had like Devon's Creek, which like <laughs> starred black people. Oh my god! <laughs> There's like a black, uh, uh, and it's really great and really funny. And um, they're available. They're they're all over YouTube. So you should you should pull that <laughs> if you when you get the I chance. I would actually like to see a, 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 like a black version of Dawson's Creek because like here's the thing: we don't get a lot of shows about black families in general. But when we do, they're always like um, um, lower class or like working class. And I would like to see like a firmly middle class or even upper middle class black community, and they do exist where a show like this is centered around and they have like, you know, the poor friend, obviously who's Joey, but everybody else is like very firmly middle-class and living in two story homes. And it's just black kids and like film it in like um, PG County in <laughs> in, um, in Baltimore or film it in like, you know, um, Roswell, Atlanta, which has these heavy, excuse me, Roswell, Georgia, which has these, which is bordering Atlanta, which has these heavy, um, you know, affluent black communities. I would like to see something like that. Yeah. I think there's all, you know, these sort of, you know, character. I mean, just like these teen dramas, like we don't get teen dramas with black kids, right? Like they just don't happen. Last piece of Dawson's Creek trivia. So Kevin Williamson, actually, we owe a debt of gratitude to Scream, which was written by Kevin Williamson for giving us Dawson's Creek because in selling this, and centering a horror around teenagers, he proved that he could write, you know, centering teenagers. And the only reason Dawson's Creek exists is because of the success of his his script for, for Scream. So, yeah, like, these are two webs that I didn't think were linked, but they are. 
Um, and Fox, um, who, you know, produced Scream, um, originally wanted Dawson's Creek for their network, but th then passed on it because Party of Five was on their network and currently struggling. And the reason they gave showed why Party of Five was struggling. They're like, we already have a teen drama. First of all, Party of Five is not a teen drama. It's a family drama. And them mishandling it and mis-selling the show is exactly why it was struggling. Because Party of Five was actually a decent show. Um, if they had promoted it more as a family drama, the show wouldn't have struggled through five years. And it only remained on air as long as it did because it was a family drama and therefore won several awards in that category. But Fox made it clear just by the excuse they gave for passing that they did not know what they were doing at the time and could not handle a show like Dawson's Creek in 1998. They got their shit together you know, in 2004 for the OC, but they did not know what they were doing with Dawson's Creek. Um, and that's why the WB ended up getting it. But this all came to fruition and this, this dominant, the wheel started turning because Kevin Williamson had, you know, managed to sell scream and the movie was such a blockbuster. Well, look at that. There you go. <laughs> so, um, they, they, everybody on the show needs to cut Nev Campbell a check. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, Nev Campbell. Good for you, Nev Campbell. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the second half of Dawson's Creek good, bad, basic, and iconic. Time, as well as casting, writing, and the right network home is everything. And Dawson's Creek hit all the right notes at precisely the right time, becoming legendary and giving its core cast a springboard for the very successful careers that they enjoy today. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons-exclusive GBB Dawson's Creek Spotify playlist. And then tune in next week where we'll, when we'll be diving into our review of Gilmore Girls and sharing our thoughts on modern television's most memorable mother-daughter duo. Until then, look out for GBB's upcoming movie review for top-tier patrons only, airing this Saturday. Em and I will be discussing Mariah Carey's movie leg Legacy, Glitter. Yes, and as far as that Dawson's Creek's playlist goes, like I said earlier, the soundtrack was gutted. So the songs that are on the playlist are the ones featured in the original airings of Dawson's Creek, not the streaming versions. If you're looking for those, I'm very sorry. But follow the Good, the Bad, the Basic pod on Spotify to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content, spread the word and become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly content as well as exclusive bonus material. As always, be sure to check out our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And of course, be sure to follow us at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Twitter. Until next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.